The Constitution of the United States is the supreme law of the United States of America. The Constitution, originally comprising seven articles, delineates the national frame of government. Its first three articles embody the doctrine of the separation of powers, whereby the federal government is divided into three branches, the legislative, consisting of the bicameral Congress, Article 1, the executive, consisting of the president, Article 2, and the judicial, consisting of the Supreme Court and other federal courts, Article 3. Articles 4, 5 and 6 embody concepts of federalism, describing the rights and responsibilities of state governments, the states in relationship to the federal government, and the shared process of constitutional amendment. Article 7 establishes the procedure subsequently used by the 13 states to ratify it. It is regarded as the oldest written and codified national constitution in force. Since the constitution came into force in 1789, it has been amended 27 times, including one amendment that repealed a previous one, in order to meet the needs of a nation that has profoundly changed since the 18th century. In general, the first ten amendments, known collectively as the Bill of Rights, offer specific protections of individual liberty and justice and place restrictions on the powers of government. The majority of the 17 later amendments expand individual civil rights protections. Others address issues related to federal authority or modify government processes and procedures. Amendments to the United States Constitution, unlike ones made to many constitutions worldwide, are appended to the document. All four pages of the original U.S. Constitution are written on parchment. According to the United States Senate, the Constitution's first three words, We the people, affirm that the government of the United States exists to serve its citizens. For over two centuries the Constitution has remained in force because its framers wisely separated and balanced governmental powers to safeguard the interests of majority rule and minority rights, of liberty and equality, and of the federal and state governments. The first permanent Constitution of its kind, it is interpreted, supplemented, and implemented by a large body of federal constitutional law, and has influenced the constitutions of many other nations such as Australia. Background First Government from September 5, 1774, to March 1, 1781, the Continental Congress functioned as the Provisional Government of the United States. Delegates to the first, 1774, and then the second, 1775 through 1781, Continental Congress were chosen largely through the action of committees of correspondence in various colonies rather than through the colonial or later state legislatures. In no formal sense was it a gathering representative of existing colonial governments, it represented the dissatisfied elements of the people, such persons as were sufficiently interested to act, despite the strenuous opposition of the loyalists and the obstruction or disfavor of colonial governors. The process of selecting the delegates for the First and Second Continental Congresses underscores the revolutionary role of the people of the colonies in establishing a central governing body. Endowed by the people collectively, the Continental Congress alone possessed those attributes of external sovereignty which entitled it to be called a state in the international sense, while the separate states, exercising a limited or internal sovereignty, may rightly be considered a creation of the Continental Congress, which preceded them and brought them into being. Articles of Confederation The Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union was the first constitution of the United States. It was drafted by the Second Continental Congress from mid-1776 through late 1777, and ratification by all 13 states was completed by early 1781. The Articles of Confederation gave little power to the central government. The Confederation Congress could make decisions but lacked enforcement powers. Implementation of most decisions, including modifications to the Articles, required unanimous approval of all 13 state legislatures. Although, in a way, 
the congressional powers in Article 9 made the League of States as cohesive and strong as any similar sort of Republican confederation in history. The chief problem was, in the words of George Washington, no money. The Continental Congress could print money, but it was worthless. Congress could borrow money but could not pay it back. No state paid all their U.S. taxes, some paid nothing. Some few paid an amount equal to interest on the national debt owed to their citizens, but no more. No interest was paid on debt owed foreign governments. By 1786, the United States would default on outstanding debts as their dates came due. Internationally, the United States had little ability to defend its sovereignty. Most of the troops in the 625-man United States Army were deployed facing, but not threatening, British forts on American soil. They had not been paid, some were deserting and others threatening mutiny. Spain closed New Orleans to American commerce, U.S. officials protested, but to no effect. Barbary pirates began seizing American ships of commerce, the Treasury had no funds to pay their ransom. If any military crisis required action, the Congress had no credit or taxing power to finance a response. Domestically, the Articles of Confederation was failing to bring unity to the diverse sentiments and interests of the various states. Although the Treaty of Paris, 1783, was signed between Great Britain and the U.S., and named each of the American states, various states proceeded blithely to violate it. New York and South Carolina repeatedly prosecuted loyalists for wartime activity and redistributed their lands. Individual state legislatures independently laid embargoes, negotiated directly with foreign authorities, raised armies, and waged war, all violating the letter and the spirit of the Articles. In September 1786, during an interstate convention to discuss and develop a consensus about reversing the protectionist trade barriers that each state had erected, James Madison angrily questioned whether the Articles of Confederation was a binding compact or even a viable government. Connecticut paid nothing and positively refused to pay U.S. assessments for two years. A rumor had it that a seditious party of New York legislators had opened a conversation with the Viceroy of Canada. To the south, the British were said to be openly funding Creek Indian raids on Georgia, and the state was under martial law. Additionally, during Shays' Rebellion, August 1786 through June 1787, in Massachusetts, Congress could provide no money to support an endangered constituent state. General Benjamin Lincoln was obliged to raise funds from Boston merchants to pay for a volunteer army. Congress was paralyzed. It could do nothing significant without nine states, and some legislation required all thirteen. When a state produced only one member in attendance, its vote was not counted. If a state's delegation were evenly divided, its vote could not be counted towards the nine-count requirement. The Congress of the Confederation had virtually ceased trying to govern. The vision of a respectable nation among nations seemed to be fading in the eyes of revolutionaries such as George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and Rufus King. Their dream of a republic, a nation without hereditary rulers, with power derived from the people in frequent elections, was in doubt. On February 21, 1787, the Confederation Congress called a convention of state delegates at Philadelphia to propose a plan of government. Unlike earlier attempts, the convention was not meant for new laws or piecemeal alterations, but for the sole and express purpose of revising the Articles of Confederation. The convention was not limited to commerce, rather, it was intended to render the federal constitution adequate to the exigencies of government and the preservation of the Union. The proposal might take effect when approved by Congress and the states. History 1787 Drafting On the appointed day, May 14, 1787, only the Virginia and Pennsylvania delegations were present, and so the convention's opening meeting was postponed for lack of a quorum. A quorum of seven states met and deliberations began on May 25. 
Eventually 12 states were represented, 74 delegates were named, 55 attended and 39 signed. The delegates were generally convinced that an effective central government with a wide range of enforceable powers must replace the weaker Congress established by the Articles of Confederation. Two plans for structuring the federal government arose at the convention's outset. The Virginia Plan, also known as the Large State Plan or the Randolph Plan, proposed that the legislative department of the national government be composed of a bicameral Congress, with both chambers elected with apportionment according to population. Generally favoring the most highly populated states, it used the philosophy of John Locke to rely on consent of the governed, Montesquieu for divided government, and Edward Koch to emphasize civil liberties. The New Jersey plan proposed that the legislative department be a unicameral body with one vote per state. Generally favoring the less populous states, it used the philosophy of English Whigs such as Edmund Burke to rely on received procedure and William Blackstone to emphasize sovereignty of the legislature. This position reflected the belief that the states were independent entities and, as they entered the United States of America freely and individually, remained so. On May 31, the convention devolved into a committee of the whole to consider the Virginia Plan. On June 13, the Virginia resolutions in amended form were reported out of committee. The New Jersey Plan was put forward in response to the Virginia Plan. A committee of 11, one delegate from each state represented, met from July 2 to 16 to work out a compromise on the issue of representation in the federal legislature. All agreed to a Republican form of government grounded in representing the people in the states. For the legislature, two issues were to be decided, how the votes were to be allocated among the states in the Congress, and how the representatives should be elected. In its report, now known as the Connecticut Compromise, or Great Compromise, the committee proposed proportional representation for seats in the House of Representatives based on population, with the people voting for representatives, and equal representation for each state in the Senate, with each state's legislators generally choosing their respective senators, and that all money bills would originate in the House. The Great Compromise ended the stalemate between patriots and nationalists, leading to numerous other compromises in a spirit of accommodation. There were sectional interests to be balanced by the three-fifths compromise, reconciliation on presidential term, powers, and method of selection, and jurisdiction of the federal judiciary. On July 24, a committee of detail John Rutledge, South Carolina, Edmund Randolph, Virginia, Nathaniel Gorham, Massachusetts, Oliver Ellsworth, Connecticut, and James Wilson, Pennsylvania, was elected to draft a detailed constitution reflective of the resolutions passed by the convention up to that point. The convention recessed from July 26 to August 6 to await the report of this committee of detail. Overall, the report of the committee conformed to the resolutions adopted by the convention, adding some elements. A 23-article, plus preamble, constitution was presented. From August 6 to September 10, the report of the committee of detail was discussed, section by section and clause by clause. Details were attended to, and further compromises were effected. Toward the close of these discussions, on September 8, a committee of style and arrangement Alexander Hamilton, New York, William Samuel Johnson, Connecticut, Rufus King, Massachusetts, James Madison, Virginia, and Governor Morris, Pennsylvania, was appointed to distill a final draft constitution from the 23 approved articles. The final draft, presented to the convention on September 12, contained seven articles, a preamble and a closing endorsement, of which Morris was the primary author. The committee also presented a proposed letter to accompany the Constitution when delivered to Congress. The final document, engrossed by Jacob Chalice, was taken up on Monday, September 17, at the convention's final session. 
several of the delegates were disappointed in the result, a makeshift series of unfortunate compromises. Some delegates left before the ceremony and three others refused to sign. Of the 39 signers, Benjamin Franklin summed up, addressing the convention, There are several parts of this Constitution which I do not at present approve, but I am not sure I shall never approve them. He would accept the Constitution, because I expect no better and because I am not sure that it is not the best. The advocates of the Constitution were anxious to obtain unanimous support of all 12 states represented in the convention. Their accepted formula for the closing endorsement was done in convention, by the unanimous consent of the states present. At the end of the convention, the proposal was agreed to by 11 state delegations and the lone remaining delegate from New York, Alexander Hamilton. 1788 Ratification Transmitted to the Congress of the Confederation, then sitting in New York City, it was within the power of Congress to expedite or block ratification of the proposed Constitution. The new frame of government that the Philadelphia Convention presented was technically only a revision of the Articles of Confederation. After several days of debate, Congress voted to transmit the document to the 13 states for ratification according to the process outlined in its Article 7. Each state legislature was to call elections for a federal convention to ratify the new Constitution, rather than consider ratification itself, a departure from the constitutional practice of the time, designed to expand the franchise in order to more clearly embrace the people. The frame of government itself was to go into force among the states so acting upon the approval of nine, for example two-thirds of the thirteen, states, also a departure from constitutional practice, as the Articles of Confederation could be amended only by a unanimous vote of all the states. Three members of the convention, Madison, Gorham, and King, were also members of Congress. They proceeded at once to New York, where Congress was in session, to placate the expected opposition. Aware of their vanishing authority, Congress, on September 28, after some debate, resolved unanimously to submit the Constitution to the states for action, in conformity to the resolves of the Convention, but with no recommendation either for or against its adoption. Two parties soon developed, one in opposition, the Anti-Federalists, and one in support, the Federalists, of the Constitution, and the Constitution was debated, criticized, and expounded upon clause by clause. Hamilton, Madison, and Jay under the name of Publius, wrote a series of commentaries, now known as the Federalist Papers, in support of ratification in the state of New York, at that time a hotbed of anti-federalism. These commentaries on the Constitution, written during the struggle for ratification, had been frequently cited by the Supreme Court as an authoritative contemporary interpretation of the meaning of its provisions. The dispute over additional powers for the central government was close, and in some states, Ratification was effected only after a bitter struggle in the state convention itself. On June 21, 1788, the Constitution had been ratified by the minimum of nine states required under Article 7. Towards the end of July, and with eleven states then having ratified, the process of organizing the new government began. The Continental Congress, which still functioned at irregular intervals, passed a resolution on September 13, 1788 to put the new constitution into operation with the eleven states that had then ratified it. The federal government began operations under the new form of government on March 4, 1789. However, the initial meeting of each chamber of Congress had to be adjourned due to lack of a quorum. George Washington was inaugurated as the nation's first president eight weeks later, on April 30. The final two states, North Carolina and Rhode Island, both subsequently ratified the constitution on November 21, 1789 and May 29, 1790, respectively. Influences Several ideas in the Constitution were new. 
these were associated with the combination of consolidated government along with federal relationships with constituent states. The Due Process Clause of the Constitution was partly based on common law and on Magna Carta, 1215, which had become a foundation of English liberty against arbitrary power wielded by a ruler. Among the most prominent political theorists of the late 18th century were William Blackstone, John Locke, and Montesquieu. Both the influence of Edward Coke and William Blackstone were evident at the convention. In his Institutes of the Laws of England, Edward Coke interpreted Magna Carta protections and rights to apply not just to nobles, but to all British subjects. In writing the Virginia Charter of 1606, he enabled the King and Parliament to give those to be born in the colonies all rights and liberties as though they were born in England. William Blackstone's commentaries on the laws of England were the most influential books on law in the New Republic. British political philosopher John Locke following the Glorious Revolution, 1688, was a major influence expanding on the contract theory of government advanced by Thomas Hobbes. Locke advanced the principle of consent of the governed in his two treatises of government. Government's duty under a social contract among the sovereign people was to serve the people by protecting their rights. These basic rights were life, liberty and property. Montesquieu's influence on the framers is evident in Madison's Federalist No. 47 and Hamilton's Federalist No. 78. Jefferson, Adams, and Mason were known to read Montesquieu. Supreme Court justices, the ultimate interpreters of the Constitution, have cited Montesquieu throughout the Court's history. Montesquieu emphasized the need for balanced forces pushing against each other to prevent tyranny, reflecting the influence of Polybius's 2nd century BC treatise on the checks and balances of the Roman Republic. In his The Spirit of the Laws, Montesquieu argues that the separation of state powers should be by its service to the people's liberty, legislative, executive and judicial. A substantial body of thought had been developed from the literature of republicanism in the United States, including work by John Adams and applied to the creation of state constitutions. The Constitution was a federal one, and was influenced by the study of other federations, both ancient and extant. The United States Bill of Rights consists of ten amendments added to the Constitution in 1791, as supporters of the Constitution had promised critics during the debates of 1788. The English Bill of Rights, 1689, was an inspiration for the American Bill of Rights. Both require jury trials, contain a right to keep and bear arms, prohibit excessive bail and forbid cruel and unusual punishments. Many liberties protected by state constitutions and the Virginia Declaration of Rights were incorporated into the Bill of Rights. Neither the convention which drafted the Constitution nor the Congress which sent it to the 13 states for ratification in the autumn of 1787, gave it a lead caption. To fill this void, the document was most often titled a frame of government when it was printed for the convenience of ratifying conventions and the information of the public. This frame of government consisted of a preamble, seven articles and a signed closing endorsement. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The content of this podcast was last edited on March 29, 2020. Hi, this is Annie from Ovoa Simone. You're listening to a Creative Commons licensed podcast.